Hello, and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. Happy Father's Day, y'all. Happy Father's Day. Come on, how do we feel about our dads in the room? Come on, future dads in the room, those trying to be dads in the room, come on. We love you guys. Listen, I know all of us have had different experiences with our own earthly fathers. Some good, some not so good. Um, Maybe some of y'all don't really have much of an experience with your earthly dad at all. But, um, you know, for me personally, fortunately, by the grace of God, he allowed me to experience being a son whose father was present, loving, was a provider and a protector. He was all things that make up a good dad. I can confidently say, he's in the room, come on, but my dad, my dad, yeah, Papa Greg, my dad was a good dad. I can say that, and I can say that with confidence. And I can look back, I can peer back into the memories of childhood, and I can think of all these amazing dad highlights, you know, all these awesome things that he did. And there were times, I think I told this story, you know, about a year ago, but there were times, man, he told off other kids for me, you know, like, it was awesome. <laughs> and, uh, man, there was time, I, man, one time I had this math teacher who was just picking on me bad, and, you know, for whatever reason, he called this math teacher, man. He, some awesome things, and, you know, he was at every, he was at, just, come on. Oh, I would have hated to be that math teacher. Hey, uh, but he was at every sports game. You know, he played counselor. He played mentor. He he did all these things. But there's one specific dad highlight that I want to touch on this morning. You know, this is one of the many reasons I'm so proud to call him dad. But I can remember I was maybe five or six years old. And our family decided to take this trip up to Ohio where we had a family member who had a lake house. So... I can remember being a kid, again, maybe five or six years old. Now, I'm, I'm so young, and my memory, as I was thinking back on this story, my memory was a little muddy, didn't really have a, I, I vaguely remember this, so I actually had to call him this week and like get all the details of the story to make sure they were right. But long story short, five or six years old, and I'm hanging out on this dock, out on the lake, and there's another little kid who's out hanging on this dock with me. We're both just kind of playing. We're both young, kind of clumsy, um, and we're just messing around on this dock. Being two young, clumsy kids, this young kid ends up slipping off the dock into this dirty, muddy lake water that you, you really even can't even see to the bottom because it's so dirty. And it's very obvious right away as you see this kid slip into the water, he doesn't know how to swim. And neither do I. So this little kid is literally in the water drowning. And like super dad, right, who goes diving into the water, fully clothed, none other than Florida's 1981 first place bodybuilding champion, okay, (laughs) Braintree High School's uh, 1974 homecoming king, the man, the myth, the legend, come on, Mark Stephen Griffith Sr. jumps in, (laughs) jumps into the water and saves this kid, and he rips this kid up out of the water, fully clothed, without hesitation, dives in, saves this kid, it was incredible. Um, so, yeah, come on. Just one of the many dad highlights that we love and uh, share. And I know you guys may have your own. So that was, that was one of my favorite ones. 
Hey, my title of the message this morning is Best Dad Ever, is, is Best Dad Ever. Y'all ready for this word? Yeah. All right, let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Father, again, we invite your presence into this room. I pray that right now you would till the soil of our hearts. God, I pray as the seed of your word goes forth that it would land in, in fertile soil and it would grow to produce fruit in our lives. God, we can come in here every week and we can sit and we can listen. But if we never apply the truth of your word to our life, then nothing's going to change. There's going to be no transformation. So, Father, I pray that we wouldn't only be hearers of your word, but we would be doers also in Jesus' holy and mighty name. Amen. So I know this is a little different, but I spent a few hours this week um, studying some of the world's most, popu most popular religions. And... Um, you know, I don't want to talk about it for our entire time together this morning, but I want to gently touch on some of the core beliefs of the world's most popular religions. Now, I understand a few hours of study isn't enough to fully comprehend and understand uh, the fullness of each one of these religions, but I do feel as though I'm able to talk about some of the core beliefs in each one of these. Now, just a couple statistics. In the world today, two 2.3 billion people claim Christianity. 2.3. Everyone say 2.3. And then 1.9 billion people claim Islam. Say 1.9. So a little less than Christianity. Then 1.2 billion claim Hinduism. 1.1 billion billion claim agnostic, secular, or atheism. So I want to take some time, and I want to run through, just, vi just very briefly, I want to talk about each kind of one of these major uh, world religions here, and, and just take a little bit of a deeper look. So Islam, in short, Islam began when a man named Muhammad was visited in a cave out in an Arabian desert and received revelation from God through the angel Gabriel, okay? So he was in a cave, and eventually Muhammad eventually bore the responsibility of communicating to the people that which was given to him from Allah. Eventually, he puts together the Quran. Uh, this was a book pieced together with the writings of Muhammad that were basically what Allah spoke to him. Now, in the Islamic religion, you'll hear of what is known as the five pillars of Islam. Okay, And these are the five pillars. One, to declare God publicly. Two, to pray five times a day. Three, to give two to three percent of your net worth to the poor. Four, fast for daylight hours during Ramadan. Five, at some point in your life, take a pilgrimage to Mecca. Okay, now whether or not you're being a faithful believer in the religion of Islam um, would be or largely predicated off how are you doing in, in relation to these five pillars. Are you applying these? Are you being obedient? Are you obeying these five major pillars of Islam? Now, this word, Akira, okay, Akira is an Islamic term referring to afterlife. So I want to talk about how, in the religion of Islam, how we achieve that afterlife. Because regardless of what religion you are, we all have the same problem, is that we're inherently evil. We all have evil to deal with. Right? And, and even as we go through these religions, you'll see they're all based around, in many ways, dealing with this issue of being evil. So it is repeatedly, this, this word Akira, right, for afterlife, it is repeatedly referenced in chapters of the Quran concerning the last judgment, an important part of Islam, um, study of their end times. And according to Islamic beliefs, 
God will play the role of quadi, which is the individual who will weigh the deeds of your life. He will decide whether that person's Acura um, is, is going to set them in hell or set them in heaven for all of eternity, but, but it's weighed, the way he decides that is based off either good or bad deeds in comparison to one another. So did you do enough good deeds throughout your life or did you not do enough good deeds? And whichever way the scale tips is going to determine, he will eventually judge and determine where you'll spend eternity based off the way that you lived your life, okay? So that's Islam, very short, very brief. Again, I'm sure maybe I didn't, you know, maybe I missed some of the details, but for the most part, that, that's kind of a quick layout. I want to talk about Hinduism. Okay, y'all still with me? Okay, so Hinduism. Hinduism, made short, revolves around the idea of reincarnation. Reincarnation. So basically, all of life follows karma, which is the law of cause and effect. So in Hinduism, basically, if I do good things, good things will follow. If I do bad things, bad things will follow. Now, this life, these good duties that I'm set out to do is called dharma. Right? So, and those are the duties I'm responsible for, the good works that I'm responsible for throughout my life. Now, if I fulfill most of those, if I do a good job following dharma, then when I'm reincarnated into my next life, my next life will be better than my last. So it's, it's this system where, okay, I start here, but if I do a good enough job, then I get into this new life, and I'll be a little bit higher up on the, on the social scale. I'll be, maybe come back with a little more money, a little more fame, a little more wealth, whatever it is, in, into that next life. Then more good deeds, a higher level of enlightenment than next life. And we're, and we're being perfected through this cycle of rebirth, in essence. And this cycle of rebirth is known as samsara. Now, there's one loophole to escaping this cycle of samsara. If a person is holy enough, if they live a good enough life, if they reach complete enlightenment by path of knowledge, by the path of devotion, and the path of good deeds, one can actually escape samsara and enter into what, you know, Hindu heaven, moksha. And that's where you are, you know, you've, you've escaped this cycle of rebirth and reincarnation. Interesting. That's Hinduism. Buddhism. Let's talk about Buddhism. Y'all good? Still with me? Okay, so Prince Siddhartha, this is a, this is a man, um, he had such a profound spiritual experience, while meditating, he actually became the Buddha. Y'all familiar with Buddha? I'm sure maybe we've seen the, the statue or the idol of Buddha. And he discovered this eight-step plan to reducing our craving for evil and reducing our suffering. Thus, what Buddhists refer to as the eightfold path was birthed, and it's not easy, but it's a way to enlightenment within the Buddhist religion. And the eightfold path is this, right view, right aspiration, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. Until these things are perfected, it is believed in Hinduism, or, or it is believed in Buddhism, just like in Hinduism, there is this constant process of rebirth. I think many Buddhists would agree that action is much more important than beliefs. 
And it's important to know salvation only comes through following and adhering to this eightfold path. Okay, that's the only way it's going to come. Now, I know Judaism isn't one of um, the religions that I listed or provided statistics for. Apparently, there's 14 million Jewish people in the world right now. And I think we could all agree that Judaism plays a huge role in Christianity's sacred text that we know is the Bible. Um, so I, I just briefly looked up, okay, how, how do we, in, in the Jewish religion, how do you receive salvation? How do you receive salvation? And it's through belief in God, but also through mitzvah, which is good deeds, follow the commandments, right? So if someone was to come up to me and to ask me, Pastor Mark, what makes you think Christianity is the right religion? Or, or maybe they ask Pastor Mark, what makes Christianity different than all the other religions of the world? I would probably sit this person down and take some time to tell them a story. Now, the story that I would tell them, it's not my own story, but it's a story that I would steal from Jesus. And it's a story that Jesus actually sat down and told to religious people. And here's the story that he told. It's found in Luke 15, 11 through 31. Remember, this is what makes Christianity different than other world religions. Y'all ready? Luke 15 uh, opens up at verse 11. It says this. This is Jesus speaking. He's telling a story. He says, Jesus continued. He goes, okay, there was a man who had two sons. The younger son said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So it says, so he divided his property between them. The way I like to kind of view this story here to set the scene is, is there's a dad who has two sons. Now the older son, responsible, mature, handles business on the farm, right? takes care of the duties, does what he's supposed to do. He's obedient. He's mature. And then we have this younger son, and he's going through his punk rock phase, okay? He wants to listen to heavy metal music and run with the bad boys, and that's what he wants to do. And he's in a season of rebellion, okay? He says, Dad, I'm done. I'm done with the house rules. I'm done being under your leadership. Give, give, me, my, give me what's mine. Give me my inheritance. I'm out of here. I'm done with y'all. I'm over it. I'm over this life. I want to go do my own thing. And his dad says, okay, son. And he gives him his inheritance. He gives him a lump sum of money, which would be one-third of his total wealth. The older son, when the father passes, the older son would get two-thirds. The younger son would get one-third. So this rebellious younger son gets his inheritance. Verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and he set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So we see younger son, and he gets this inheritance. He gets everything that he asked for, takes off into, what, you know, whatever. Maybe it's Las Vegas, where, wherever he goes. He goes, he starts raging, starts going wild. He said, oh, just partying, <laughs> just, just going nuts, having a good time, doing everything that, that his heart desired, everything the flesh desired, blowing his cash, blowing his money. Then all of a sudden, he runs out of money. COVID-19 hits. He doesn't got a job. He's like, oh. What am I going to do? Now, I, I love when Jesus tells stories because Jesus is so intentional about the details of his story. 
you would know, listening to the story, now he's speaking to Jewish religious leaders, but if someone is to squander or waste the family's resource, this is grounds for excommunication. Like, this is a big no-no. You are straight up evil if you take your family's money, your family's resource, your family's property, and you lose it, especially to Gentiles. This is a grievous offense. This is grounds for excommunication. So here the younger kid is. He's wasted everything he's got. No way to make money. Famine's hit. He can hardly eat. There's no food available. What is he going to do? Verse 15. He problem solves. It says, so he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were feeding, but no one gave him anything. Again, Jesus, so intentional about the details of this story. As he's speaking to the Jewish religious leaders, as if, you know, this uh, taking his father's resources and squandering that, if that wasn't already, this is grounds for excommunication. If that wasn't bad enough, now he's involving himself uh, with pigs, and pigs are seen as this unclean animal that should be left alone, untouched, seen as dirty. And now not only is he tending to them, but he's almost desiring to eat with them. The Jews would view tending to sheep or tending to pigs as despicable work. Yet this is where this younger son is. It gets just worse and worse and worse. Verse 17. Jesus continues on with the story. He's still talking about the younger son. It says, when he came to his senses. When he, everyone say senses. Come on, when he came to his senses, he said, man. How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. Like, I, like, man, I'm working for this guy, and I don't even got food. I know when my dad had employees, man, he took care of them at least, you know? So he gets the, the wheels turning in his brain thinking, I think I have an idea. He says, I'll set out. He says, I'll go back to my father and say to him, Father, I, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. AKA, I've sinned against God. I've, I've, I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So make me like, like one of your hired servants. Listen I, listen, I know I'm evil. I know I messed up. I know I've done wrong. I know I've wasted your resource. Listen, all all's I'm asking is that, that I'll just do for you. I'll just do for you. That's all, I, just to be around you, just to be able to get what you provide, just to be able to have access to what you can offer, I'll, I'll, I'll do for you. Take me on as one of your hired servants, okay? He said, he said, that's what I'll say. It's like he's practicing this speech before he goes. He says, so he got up and he went to his father. Now, here's one of the beautiful parts of this verse. And I'm sure we're all familiar with this story, or at least many of us have heard it before. But you, can, you, you get this image where it's like the dad is, you know, it's almost as if he's waiting at the end of the driveway. Like every day, he takes a little bit of time just to wait out at the end of the driveway. And, man, is he coming back yet? Keep coming back yet. You know what would be great right now? Some, some, some piano behind me. Val, would you mind jumping up? That would be great. So dad's hanging out, driveway. 
And you'll see in the text, verse 20, it continues on. It says, so he got up and he went to his father. It says, but while he was still a long way off, while the younger son still wasn't even home yet, still a long way off, his father saw him and was so mad that he started screaming at him before he even, is that what it says? It says he started unlooping his belt, getting it off, ready to whip this boy <laughs> bad. No, that's not what he said. It's really interesting. It's really interesting to observe the, the behavior and attitude of, of the dad with this kid who's done so much evil, who's been so naughty, so disobedient. It says when his father saw him, he was actually filled with compassion. And what does he do? He actually starts running towards his kid. It says he ran to his son, he, he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. The son said to him, "Is like, listen, dad. You know, his dad's kissing him. He's like, listen, dad. I know, you know, I know. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven, and, and I've sinned against you." He, he says, I'm, I, "I understand. Listen, before you do anything, I know I'm no longer worthy to be called your son." And it was almost as if while the son's trying to apologize and have this moment of repentance and asking forgiveness, and it's almost like the dad like doesn't even really care what the son has to say. It's almost like the dad cuts off this um, confession or this, this apology, and he just like looks to, to his servants, and it says, but the father said to his servants, quick, shut up. You just shut up. Quick. Bring the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. He says, let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. It's like, you know, yeah, this is. But you, but you got to remember, Jesus is telling this story to the Jewish religious leaders. And they're sitting there probably thinking, this dad is crazy. What kind of dad would act like that? But the story continues on, because remember, there's two kids, right? There's the older brother and the younger brother. So verse 25, it says, meanwhile, the older son, here we go. So now we're on to the older son, was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked, he's like, dude, what, what's going on over there? Why are they, why are they celebrating? Why are they, why are they got music playing and stuff? And the servant said, your brother's come home, he replied. Your father's killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And you think, older brother, well, based off the way the dad acted, older brother's going to throw down his pitchfork or whatever, you know, get out of the field. He's going to run. He's going to go party too. I love that fat cow. I want to eat some of that. Love the way my dad cooks that thing, right? But that's not how he responds. I think older brother maybe has some bitterness, maybe some frustration stored up in his heart. The older brother, it says he became angry and he refused to go into the party. So here's the image I want you to catch. Parties going on, everybody's crazy. It's like younger brothers just right back at it. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go. Hey. And older brother's like, I'm not partying. I'm not doing that. I'm not going in there. I'm not, I'm not celebrating. And what does the father do? Ne next verse. So his father went out and pleaded with him. His father left where he was and went out to the son. Remember when the father was on the end of the driveway, he, he, he ran to the son. 
now the father's in the party, but he leaves the party to, to go to the other son. There, there's, there, there's a consistency here that we can see, but I'll get to that in a minute. So, Verse 28, it says, his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, he goes, but when this son of yours, he's not even my brother, right? But this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? And the dad says, my son, he said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead, and he's alive again. He was lost and is found. Now, the reason Jesus is sharing this parable with these Jewish religious leaders, the whole purpose of it, is he's trying to illustrate the heart of our heavenly And again, I know I kind of emphasized it, but you'll, you'll notice that in, in the behavior of the dad, he sees the son a long way off, and he, and he runs towards him, and then, he, and then he's in the party, and, and the son won't get involved, and he leaves the party to go meet with that son, and again, like I said, there's a theme there, and the theme is this, that through this parable, we learn that the God that we serve is actually a God who pursues us. So I think back to my dad being on this dock, right? Watching this kid drowned in the water, this kid who doesn't have the natural ability to swim himself to safety. Can you imagine my dad watching this little kid shouting commands, telling the kid how to swim so the kid can save himself, giving him instructions, I'll save you if you just do enough good deeds, come on. Right, looking down, it says, if you consistently hit your five pillars, then, then I'll jump in and I'll save you. If you abide by the eightfold path, you'll be able to get out of there. Enough karma, and then I'll save you. No, my dad saw that his child needed to be saved, so he jumped into the water. He went to where the kid was and pulled him up out, right? Romans 5, verses 8 through 10, it says this. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were drowning, while we were squandering the property, while we were in the pit with the pigs, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Verse 10, for if while we were God's enemies, say enemies. Come on, that's a strong word. If while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Listen, there's coming a day where the righteousness and wrath of God will destroy everything that's evil. And you and me are inherently evil beings, and without being made new, we'll never not be evil beings. It's foolish to think that inherently evil beings can white-knuckle themselves or discipline themselves out of being evil. You're broken and I'm broken. In the same way, it's foolish to expect this boy who doesn't know how to swim, this child who's drowning in the water, to save themselves. They don't know how to swim. They can't. We need a Savior. 
We need a savior. If the evil inside of me is going to be something that makes me an object for God's wrath, I need something or someone to remove this evil and sin from within me. That's the truth. That's what I need. And God didn't hand us a, a training book on how to get rid of it and say, okay, follow X, Y, Z, and, and then you'll be there, and that's how you'll do it. God, through Jesus, jumped off the dock of heaven, right? Dove into the earth through the virgin birth of Mary, lived a perfect, sinless life, and said to all humanity, I'll give you my righteousness, and I'll take all that evil and sin that's within you. I'll wear it. You don't got to wear it anymore right? And I'll give you eternity. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I'll take it for you. So when people ask me the question, what makes Christianity different than other religions? The answer is simple. The God of Christianity is different in the fact that he loves me. He loves me. He loves me. He loved me so much. He didn't tell me to perform for my salvation. He came and performed for me through his son Jesus and then when I and then when I accepted that invitation when I said yeah God I'll let him I'll let Jesus take the evil I'll let Jesus take the sin you know what he did he put his spirit inside of me he empowered me through his spirit to live a life free from the bondage of sin while I'm on earth so the difference is this God is a good father he's he's actually the best dad ever he's the best dad ever He's extended an invitation to you and to me to be adopted into the family of faith. So here's what I want to do. I want to offer you. Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can check out the link in the description to give or visit destinychurch.me slash give. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We love you and have a blessed week.